Welcome to the Three Priests Walk in a Bar podcast. Welcome to the Zoom podcast quarantine version of Three Priests Walk in a Bar. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's good to see y'all. It's been, it's been far too long. Cheers to everybody. Uh, how's everybody holding up? Clink. Clink, yeah, clink. <laughs> this is Dr. Pepper. I'm sorry. But... <laughs> if I have something to drink now, I'm going to be groggy the whole day. It just makes me so tired. No excuses. I tell you, the day's <laughs> almost over now, Nick. It's four in the afternoon. You mean Nick's just getting started? He's a I millennial. Got the, I got the whole night in front of me. <laughs> oh, there is man. no time and there is no days. Every day is just today. Really not. like In quarantine, there is no such thing as, as Saturdays. Although there is such thing as Sundays. We always can keep the Lord's Day. Yeah. That was, it was good to have, uh, I hope it was everybody's, well, it's not everybody's, where's, were, you guys, was it your Easter pretty good? And was your, uh, was your, uh, um, what's the, what's the week before Easter? I can't. Holy week. Um, holy no, no, we week. call it, we call it Wester. West, yeah. You guys had a good Wester on Sunday. Yeah, we, we did have a good, good Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. That's, why did I completely forget the name Palm Sunday? Well, <laughs> if you, if we're being honest, it's the feast of the Lord's glorious entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday is just for short. It is. It's it's easier to say. It's true. <laughs> so did you guys did you guys go into um into your different like church buildings to to have liturgy on Sunday? We haven't stopped. It's just me and the choir director and a couple of her kids. Oh, okay. So in our church, um, we both several of our staff had whatnot. We're just uh, doing little bits and pieces of um, recording and having them spliced together. And so folks can do music wherever and speak from wherever. Okay. And we made it into one service. And we, we've been in, <clears throat> in the, uh, for Holy Week, we were in the, the parish house uh, rather than the church because there's no Wi-Fi in the church. Just as oh, okay. there's no bathrooms because it was built before indoor plumbing. There's also no no Wi-Fi's in the church, no Wi-Fi in the church. So so we had to do everything in the parish house. But after this, we'll be uh, moving to live streaming. Just just my wife and I from from the living room of my house, which is what we were doing before uh, Holy Week, anyway. And speaking of live streaming, since our last recording, Father Adam, you have blown up on social media and different websites. Uh, because of this um, googly eyes blooper from a few weeks ago, I still stay I still tuned cannot... for Father Googly Skies this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going up in the helicopter to uh, rain down on on Hanover. Well, it, it's going to be an aeroplane, like a little. Uh, oh, it's an aeroplane. Oh, I thought it was a helicopter. No, well, I mean, they didn't offer a helicopter. I think it's just a little uh, 
I can just imagine all what could go wrong with a helicopter ride. I don't know. I, <laughs> I've never been on an airplane other than, you know, a commercial airline. So this, this will be a different experience. And uh, yes, will. <laughs> Father John, incidentally, was supposed to go up today to bless Richmond, but uh, because of the high winds and, and uh, velocity, they mm-hmm. had to postpone it. So he'll be doing uh, Richmond and uh, St. Tecon's Parish on uh, Saturday. Oh, nice. On, on Holy Saturday. So does anybody else have plans to go viral? Um, <laughs> anybody else? You guys got any bloopers planned? Father Nick, Pastor Lou? No plans. <laughs> Mine was quite by accident, I assure you. <laughs> Some may say my whole ministry is a blooper, so uh, I'll just leave that there. Very, very true. All right. <laughs> so... Um, our topic this time, um, I, I'm, I'm playing a little bit of catch up because I woke up this morning to a long stream of, of Facebook messages that I was not awake for discussing whatever topic we were going to do. And so... Um, be caught asleep, as the Bible says. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was definitely caught asleep. Um, Behold, the bridegroom comes at midnight. <laughs> yeah, so why are you waking me up at 10 in the morning? <laughs> we're in quarantine. I'm trying to sleep at 10 in the morning. <laughs> Um, now, so obviously with this whole pandemic and coronavirus thing, it's got people, um, especially, um, American Christians thinking a little bit more about, um, the big word is eschatology, but it's like end times. What's going to happen at the end of all things. I actually just got an email. Oh shoot. My browser closed. I got an email from, um, a website called Credo Courses that's advertising a course in um the book of revelation it says like now seems like a now seems like a good time to be talking about revelation uh so it's <laughs> it's it's pressing on people's mind and it, it went yeah. through things like you know um what are the different views what does the bible say is the antichrist alive today and like all those different things there's so many things there's so many questions that uh end times brings up so it this could be a we could go on a lot of rabbit trails uh, for this one, and um, so we'll, we'll try to keep it as, as condensed as we can here in about maybe about an hour or so. When do we not take rabbit trails? <laughs> the real burning question is whether or not uh, Nick Cage is, uh, um, you know, going to be left behind. Nick, Cage, no, 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 Kirk Cameron, man, Kirk Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go with the OG, man. Yeah. Every. So, like, for me, um, I, well, I mean, we, I'm... Before we dive in, shouldn't we talk about what we're drinking? As we, we should, we should. I can't... Before we, we die? We, we could... <laughs> before this, we're raptured. Everything's <laughs> throwing me off. I'm All right, so... Raptured. Let's start uh, Let's start with Father Nick. What, uh, what have you got today? So, I've got this... Uh, is that Omagang? Uh, is that uh, how you that? Oh, Urban nice. Barrel Vanilla, Vanilla Smoked Porter. Ooh. It is, yeah. It's excellent. That's very highbrow of you. <laughs> Where's that from? Uh, so this is, uh, it's in Cooperstown, New York. New York. And I, and I bought it okay. at the Caboose, of course. Yeah. Nice. Pastor Lou? Yeah, my beer is from, uh, I got this before I was quarantined, in the self-quarantined in the house. 
but it's an appropriate beer nonetheless for our conversation because if you're going to be talking about fires and brimstone, you might as well have some s'mores with it. Uh, <laughs> some more beer, and it's very sweet and it does ch- taste chocolatey. Um, is it a porter? I'm not sure what they'd call this. Let's. It just says an ale. It calls it an, well, an ale. ale, really. But That's it's a shiner a, buck, right? Or a shiner? Yeah, a shiner. It's um, it's a chocolate and marshmallow ale. Ooh, never Very heard of that in an ale. I bought it because it was unusual to give it a try. That was before anyone was talking about um, the end of the world coming. So it was prophetic. <laughs> Right, we Father already Adam. know that Baby Nick is drinking Dr Pepper. It's I am, I am, because I'll, I'll have I'll have something later tonight, probably. Like the, <laughs> I, I think I've got some some stouts left over from Left Hand Brewing that I picked up at, at Publix uh, a week or, or a couple months ago. Um, <laughs> incidentally, and they survived. Um, they did survive. Incidentally, speaking of Left Hand Brewing, um, we found a I found a White Russian that I sent to you guys. Uh, the, the picture of that White Russian stout. Um, didn't even know oh, that yes. you, could, you could make that in a beer. So I thought that was from Colorado. It is. Left Hand, um, they have like oh. one stout that they distribute nationally. I see. Well, we need to try it. Somebody needs to go to Colorado and get their hands on a white Russian stout. Yeah. Or whatever it was. What are you drinking tonight? Our, well, right? as we are um, quarantined, uh, I, I thought that I would continue my homage to uh. Uh, Corona. <laughs> So I'm drinking Corona Familiar, uh, and it's better than your average Corona extra beer. It's a it's a heavier. I guess you could say it's probably a, I don't know, Pilsner. I don't know, whatever it is. It's cheap Mexican beer, and it's delicious. And I thought I'd do my part to keep Corona beer uh, in business. So <laughs> if we face our fears, then they're less scary. So right. <laughs> All right. So now that we know what we're all uh, what we're all touting for this discussion, um, it'd be interesting to. I, I would actually be curious to know like our different backgrounds as far as like um, eschatology and like what we what we kind of grew up believing. Because I know for me, I'm from the I'm from the American South, and so for me, it was very um, rapture, and then the seven years of tribulation, and then the millennial reign, and the very um, <laughs> the millennial reign we're all doomed <laughs> the sort of the sort of time very laid out um baptist timeline was sort of what i grew up with that's not what i have what i hold to nowadays but that's what i kind of grew up with so i'd be curious what's the because growing up catholic for for you guys what's what's sort of the emphasis not much of one no no not in my experience how about you nick yeah, no, I, I'd say the same. I mean, you know, uh, it's not that there's no teaching of the last day and, and uh, Christ's parousia or his return. Uh, obviously, that's there. But uh, there's certainly, I mean, we'll get into this, but that whole rapture theology is a 19th century uh, nonconformist Protestant thing that came out of England. And mm-hmm. uh so it, it just, it, it has no place in, in the older traditions of the church. And so we, we didn't get any of that. And the, the idea was that, you know, 
I, I think the, the sense that I had was that uh, the Christ's return was going to be a good and great thing, and, uh, but it's not something for us to worry about. All right. That'd be pretty much the same with, with me. You know, you, you were exposed to the different movies, the cultural understandings in, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but um, the, the focus is more that, you know, Jesus, it's a, it's a good thing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And yes, there'd be discussion of judgment, but there's not an over-focus on it. Um, there's a lot of, it, when I moved to the South, I discovered, and I'm not trying to be unfair to folks down here, I think it's true. That there's a lot of um, there's a lot of focus on this to the point where I used to get mailings in my house down here when I was a cop talking about there'd be some new speaker coming that week to talk about the end times and they're going to tell us all about it mm-hmm. and then the next week it'd be someone else coming and telling all about it and they all had their own opinions they had some of the same themes but they're all over the place and and I'm not sure why that is i have a few guesses that you know there's an element of some folks think that that's going to scare people straight and um, i'm not sure that it does i I think sometimes it makes people just feel that they're never going to be good enough so why even bother Mm -hmm. it tends to be very um the biggest critique i think i've heard of it has been it's very escapist Um, yes it it sort of takes the focus off the church's mission in the present world because it gets everybody you know, it's really just about getting ready for this one moment. At least that may not be the intention, but that's sort of the outcome. It can happen. Oh, wait, do we lose? Nick, you there? I can't I'm you here. Now. Can you hear me? No, I can't hear you, Nick. You can't hear me? Oh. Uh... How did you answer his question if you couldn't hear him? Sorry. Hang on, let me try something. That sounds like it might be a problem with Father Adam's audio. Um, yeah. It's always a problem with Father Adam. <laughs> We can put googly eyes on him while he's talking. You got me now? <laughs> Somehow the, the sound turned itself off. Ah, okay. See, I always need a millennial by my side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when we were in the police department and if someone misfired their gun, and they'd say, oh, the gun somehow went off, and it's like, no. The person went off. It's all your fault. I remember... Growing up, not only Catholic, but in Catholic school, parochial school, um, very little being taught about the end time, so to speak, in a in a post-Roman Catholic uh, evangelical sort of way. Um, we really didn't interact much with that. Um, to my recollection, and both of you could could correct me if I'm wrong, but. I don't even recall the book of Revelation being used liturgically in in the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, It certainly isn't used liturgically in the Orthodox tradition. Um, And also, if memory serves, if uh, if I'm being honest, there was some rather healthy debate about whether it ought to be included in the canon of Scripture when they were figuring all that out. Um, ultimately it was, I don't remember what the deciding factor might've been for its being included. I'd have to defer to father Nick because he's our, our, uh, resident, uh, scholarly, uh, (laughs) 
uh, type here. But, uh, you know, suffice it to say, Revelations, the Apocalypse of St. John, has always been rather a contentious bit of scripture. And to base our understanding of, of the ultimate telos of man upon one very strangely written and very obscure book with very little explanation is a fool's errand at best. Yeah, I think um, in, in looking at Luther's writings, there was a tendency <clears throat> for folks to fo- over-focus on the end times and what was going to happen. And, and uh, he worried about people being unbiblical in their attempts to try to say exactly how things are going to work out. That's my gist of his writings. Um, I did look something up real quick while Father Adam was talking, um, and it's from one source on the web. It says that the weekday lectionary includes readings from the Old Testament, Acts, Revelation, or the Epistles in the Roman Catholic lectionary. So it's not a heavily focused on during the weekend but if you on Sunday but if you went during the week apparently you're gonna see it and hear it um it does I believe it does come up in our lectionary I'd have to look it up I'm pretty sure it does um, Nick and ours is very similar you have it right Nick yeah that's right so uh it, it does come up uh not often but uh a few Apparently. this and, season pretty much right near the yeah that's right uh towards, towards the end of the east of Easter tide and then maybe mm-hmm. before Christ the king yeah, it's uh, it's part of the revised common lectionary that's used by the Episcopal Church and uh, ELCA Lutherans and the Roman Catholic Church, as as well as those Presbyterians and uh, uh, Methodists who decide to use the lectionary. Also, we're all on the revised uh, common lectionary, though there are a few differences. Yeah, and so it does come up for us. But very, very little. But one of the more interesting points is that uh, the um, the whole dispensationalist theology and rapture theology uh, actually draws very little on the Book of Revelation, much, much, much less than you would expect. It and it instead jumps around mm-hmm. all over the Bible, picking up. Uh, a passage from Ezekiel and a passage from Isaiah, and then jumping over uh, to First um, Thessalonians uh, four seventeen. That's the big one, yeah, for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. That's the one that says, "And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord." And that's that's where the whole idea of um, the uh, the rapture comes from is from that verse coupled with the verses where Jesus says uh, one will be in the field and, and one will be taken and the other left and and you know two women will be uh, you know amid their uh, domestic duties and one will be taken and one will be left mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of combining those which are not really connected uh, but combining those uh, passages. Uh, and I, I'd i like to get into at some point why that's a misreading of the Thessalonians, but I, I don't know if now's the time or not. Well, it's definitely a misreading of the of the gospel passage, because in, in that one, it's the one that's taken is in worse shape, right? right. That's right. 
uh, it's the one that's in le- that are left behind that are that are you know pretty well set. Um, it's it's interesting though, like just sometimes how spurious some of those rapture passages can actually be. And I say that because you know coming from the education that I had, um, I remember a very interesting uh, interpretation of Revelation four one. I just looked at it. Um, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. They interpreted that a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here as the trumpet from the rapture, which I thought like hmm. a bit of a stretch, even at the time. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting, but, but it's, it's history of this whole rapture discussion. If you look back at it and even further, you know, with Mill. Miller, Millerites, the Millerites, the, the forebears of the Seventh-day Adventist and the different expectations of when God's coming, um, a lot of folks make some very interesting, sometimes they sound compelling arguments, but when you really look at it, they've done a lot of mental gymnastics to make it work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you might as well be St. Thomas Aquinas, right, Nick? Tommy Kwai Kwai. But in general, that they, they do they do make some, and it changes. If you make a good argument against one art, one of their theories, then they just change things around very yeah. quickly. And I think traditionally, at least from my experience, and when I was growing up Catholic or as a Lutheran, we're not so wrapped up in trying to get God into this little box that we fully understand what's going to happen. Uh, God's in control and and we can trust. And as I alluded to in a message yesterday, you know, there's a saying attributed to Luther. I don't think any scholars really found it, you know, in his writings, but I think it reflects his, um, his thinking on this is that, that he had planted an apple tree, you know, if he knew that the next day was going to be the end of the world. Someone asked him, what would you do if you knew the world was going to come to an end? I plant an apple tree. You're living in hope. You do what you need to do now i mean it's isn't that what we do with with death before us i mean look at the time we're in with the pandemic or whatever and or when i was a cop and didn't know if i'd ever see my doorway again i mean you just you have to live and you have to live the way god's called you to live and god's got you covered and, and that's that attitude you don't have to be you don't have to be afraid People that's ask me i remember around the um well it wasn't that the end of the Mayan calendar mm-hmm. and everybody, I mean, and, uh, that seems like ancient history now because, well, that was eight years ago, my goodness. And um, they would say to me things like, Father Adam, is this really the end? Do, uh, are, are, are we at the end of time? Is and, and they would ask similar things and they would also, uh, for whatever reason, Ask me also, is there life out there beyond Earth? Unrelated questions, but in, in some way very much related. Uh, because at the end of the day, I told them that you will never get the right answer to the wrong question. Because the scriptures say that, you, you know, you know not the day nor the hour. And you can't know. That is for the Lord to know. And really... The, the right question is, are you living as if you would need to give account today for your life and for the deposit that the Lord gave you? Did you bury 
your talents in the earth and return nothing to the Lord. You know, wicked servant. You know, we don't want to end up being a wicked servant. We want to be able to say we invested it a little mm-hmm. at the very least, and we grew your investment, and it may not be much, but it's something. You know, not that, that we can do anything to earn a place in heaven other than submit to the Lord's will and to uh, embrace the image of the cross and, and pure humility like the mother of God and Christ himself. Um, but to be preoccupied with when will it happen is a, uh, well, to be, put it plainly, it's a waste of time. It's, it's, a, it's a waste of, literally a waste of time. The Lord is outside of time and outside of space, independent of these things. He is the Lord of time. And in fact, in the divine liturgy, um, uh, right after the, the consecration of, of the uh, body and blood, the, the bread and wine into the body and blood, um, when the priests the priest lifts the, the, the gifts above the altar and says, thine own of thine own we offer unto thee on behalf of all and for all. It, it, the priest is commemorating, it says, all those things which have come to pass for us, the cross, the tomb, the resurrection from the dead, thy glorious ascension, the sitting at thy right hand, and thy second and glorious coming. All of these things that have come to pass. So we understand that that the second and glorious coming of Christ is accomplished again and again and again in the uh, celebration of the Eucharist. When we gather together in any uh, kind of prayerful liturgical ecumenical gathering, (laughs) um, if you will, uh, we understand that we, by God's mercy, are given the blessing of linear time. But God exists before time. Before anything was, I am. That's bas- possibly one of the simplest and most profound ways of explaining God to anyone. Before anything was, I am. And so this concept of when will it take place is foreign to Christianity, really, to ancient Christianity especially. Uh, is there any other kind? Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think you can say you, you can say in in proper orthodoxy that certainly is is outside the discussion. But there there's evidence of different folks worried about it, talking about it at different times that were within the broader description of Christendom. Uh, they may not be considered Christian by some orthodox folks, but you know it's a common human um, need to feel in control. And so we worry about our death. And, and on one hand, God does give us this. Um, it's a gift. Life is a gift. And Jesus has called us to an abundant life. But if we're always focused on death are we real and, and acting out of fear, are we really experiencing that joy and abundant life that God has called us to? And <clears throat> I'm, I'm older than all you guys, but some of you, I don't know, it's maybe too too uh, young for remember do you remember the late great planet earth that oh, yeah. TV shows and everything about it it was a book talking about how everything was aligning for the end of times it was oh. huge hmm. and then um I, I mean think about how many times in our life people over and over again uh the year 2000 the millennial every millennial it seems people get obsessed is this going to be the end 
And it's a totally arbitrary fear because it's just the human counting of time that they're worried about this change yeah. of numbers. And then other times, like you said, the Mayan calendar and all that, it, it's just, it's something beyond us. And by focusing on it, we're waste, we're wasting our time and we're probably not loving others as we should because we're too busy worried about ourselves. But I will say in, in closing this little convert, my little soliloquy here, you know, a lot of times folks lately have been quoting Martin Luther's um, letter regarding should Christians flee the plague and they pick these heroic portions, but skip the argument. He said that, that we have to be uh, balanced in our recognition of preservation of our own life that God has given us with others. And so the, the key is that, you know, if we're dealing with some like a city in the plague in his time or some other crisis today, or when I was, I talked to my congregation about it when I was a soldier police officer, you know, we'd have to make a decision. How many of us are going? How many are needed? Not everyone is, not everyone's suited to do it. You don't have to be a martyr for no reason. You balance things out. And, and people want to be a hero. They, they, they sometimes tend to want to be a martyr and, and it makes them feel self-important. But I think you have to look at things in a humble way with some humility and recognize you, maybe you're not called to save all of humankind. Uh, someone already has that job. And, and you just need to do what you're called to do based on an accurate assessment of your skills and your weaknesses. I mean, right, right now, I'd love to be doing a lot more in my police chaplaincy, but I got different physical things wrong with me. Asthma is just one. And, you know, I'm not going to needlessly risk my life. But if the if push came to shove, I've many times put myself in a situation where I could have been killed. So it's not like it isn't about fear. It's about why why waste my life? What, you know, it'd be one thing if no one else could do something, but there are. And so, okay, how can I support them and how they do something? And, and, and with the police chaplaincy I do, I've been communicating email, phone, FaceTime, whatever it takes to support folks, you, you be creative. So I, I think the short of it is we over-focus on the scary death stuff and it stops us from really experiencing life now. I'm, I'm always diabolical distraction. Sorry. I'm always reminded of the um, the the passage at the end of I believe it's at the end of John because I think Jesus is talking about John. Um, where I think I think Peter looks back. I think I was just reading this a day or two ago. Um, Peter looks back at him and says, "Like what's what's going to happen to him?" And Jesus says, "Like." what's he what if he is to remain until i come what, what does that matter you and you follow me instead and that that to me seems to be the big missing element um when it comes to um the different end times views it's like who it, I, I wonder if that should be kind of the default attitude it doesn't matter you're supposed to follow me and i even look at um all of paul's writings and there's sometimes big debates about whether or not paul thought that it was the second coming was actually going to happen in his time. I think the more balanced view that I've seen is like they all thought it was a very real possibility, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it motivated them to live to follow Christ more. And that's the difference between, I think, then and more modern views of eschatology. It tends to cause people to live in fear and be somewhat conspiratorial. Um, I'm noticing that a lot, actually, with the coronavirus. I'm noticing a more conspiratorial attitude towards things like that. So, I don't know. That's just kind of kind of where I where I go with that. 
I've been interested. This might be a rabbit trail, but it's definitely related. Um, and, and it relates to, again, an evangelical uh, sort of approach to an obsession with Israel. And I read mm. an article or two about how the uh, the Sanhedrin, the, as it exists uh, today, is preparing or undertaking to have the ability to to make a sacrifice on the Temple Mount uh, this year at I guess it was going to be at Passover. I don't remember uh, all the details, and it it, it sort of uh, piqued my interest out of out of a sense of you know, Lord, have mercy on them. They know not what they do. Um, you know, because it it's a, it's a temple, uh, which is so far away from what any focus of the of a, of a Christian heart really ought to be. Um, given the fact that that temple mount, while historically important and certainly a holy place uh, in Christian antiquity, um, the mother of God is the temple of, of the new covenant. Um, and that temple and that sacrifice and that, that practice uh, of, of the, the sacrifice of Christ's body is what is fulfilled and so it's an obsolete practice to even undertake oh we're going to sacrifice an animal uh on on uh, make a holocaust of uh, a, a whole burnt offering on the was temple it mount. was it christians that were promoting this article that you were seeing um yeah it came from a christian bent but it was to be undertaken by by uh, jews in israel okay but there is a there's a large effort. I'll let you in, in a sec, Nick, um, because I know you're chomping at the bit. <laughs> there, there's a there, there's a large part of that culture that is trying to ignite the end of the world. They, they're trying to bring a perfect, unblemished heifer, for example, so they can have a, a righteous sacrifice. They want to see the temple rebuilt, get rid of the mosque, so that that we can prepare for Jesus to come. And I, and that goes back to I think you're. You're, so you're trying to manipulate God is what they're trying to do. Manipulate God's timing. It's mm. like, I think they're, it's a less than humble. And I think I was just, my eyes were diverted as there was a child playing outside my window. And I think we need to be like that little kid and just enjoy the moment now, you know, and, and, and love our neighbors now and not try to manipulate time uh, like we're God. And Much and, misguided. Yeah, Nick, I'd be curious to grab your thoughts because I see you've been chomping at the bit. Yeah, like Lou said. Yeah, well, I, I, there's a few threads that I'd, I'd like to pick up. I mean, what one is, I mean, I, I don't disagree with uh, with anything that's been said, except except maybe one thing that Father Adam said. Actually, he just said that the mother. Of what? God, <laughs> he said that the shocking. <laughs> he said that the Atokos is, uh, is 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 the temple of the new covenant, and I would I would say. Uh, a whole argument of First Corinthians and Hebrews is that Jesus is the the new temple and the new high priest, the the true high priest and the sacrifice. Uh, he is he is all of it all together. Uh, that she is the tabernacle of the new covenant. Say what? She is the tabernacle of the new covenant. Okay. okay. <laughs> 
the, temp- the temple of the temple, maybe. <laughs> I love Mary too. There is. I don't want to shoehorn her into every aspect of theology. Nick, Nick is is as always technically focusing on some very specific arguments, but there's actually some Christians that also suggest that the, the temple has been replaced by the body of Christ. We are the church together. We're no longer a building. You know, the whole the Holy Spirit resides in us. So we're talking just as with Revelation, lots of imagery. And so if Father Adam really wants to focus on Mary as part of that symbolism, knock yourself out. If Father Nick wants to go in a little different direction, knock yourself out because it's it's a, a human way of trying to understand a mystery we cannot contain. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll buy that, except that I think the language of, of the book of Hebrews is not that of, of metaphor, but of, of saying that the, the, in fact, the, the physical temple that existed in Jerusalem, the one that was destroyed by the Romans in, in 70 uh, AD, that that was the metaphor for the true metaphysical temple which is Christ himself, his body, as you say, as, as we see in 1 Corinthians. I don't, I don't, so I don't think it's a matter of metaphor. I think it's a matter of metaphysics. Uh, I, and, I, and that's where you're becoming a lawyer. Thing is because the, we're saying the same thing, Nick. We're saying the same thing, my friend. He's using big but, words again. I'm getting confused. All right. <laughs> you're saying the same thing. You're arguing something that does not exist. <laughs> Can I pick up a different thread then? Let me argue. Okay, okay. I just wanted to interject very quickly that when 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 Father Nick said shoehorning Mary into everything and Father Lou said whatever you said, I, I guess I'm getting the gist of what you said because um, I can't remember what you said. <laughs> um, I'll refer you to attorney Father Nick. <laughs> right, well, the, the Orthodox would say that you, you really can't, find too many places in in theology where mary doesn't figure somehow and and a lot of catholics today would say the same right oh sure and they'd be mostly right majority of christians if you want to talk in numbers that follow that kind of thinking (laughs) okay (laughs) <laughs> jump back in while there's a lull let, let me pick up on, on, on a different uh thread uh and, and argue with somebody who's not in this group and that's uh the guy who who started all this uh what we might call the evangelical heresy uh the, the american evangelical heresy which is this um uh obsession with uh with with end times and and this idea of the rapture <clears throat> Uh, the, the guy's name was John Nelson Darby. He's the founder of the um, denomination known as the Plymouth Brethren. He also actually decided that his own denomination, the Plymouth Brethren, uh, had, were too loose and liberal. Uh, and so he had to create a separate denomination of like the inner circle. And I forget what they were called, something like the secret brethren or something like that. And uh, And actually the the um, dean of my seminary where I got my MDiv grew up in that community in England. Uh, And then uh, his family was uh, essentially excommunicated. I think they call it something like disfellowshipped or whatever, and therefore no longer allowed to interact with anybody in that community when he was 
uh, a kid. And, and so he found his way into the Church of England. Uh, but uh, that it's, it's, it's strange to me that that uh, minority opinion coming out of England has now taken over uh, modern, uh, so much of, of modern American evangelicalism. Uh, and um, Pastor Lou mentioned uh, the late great planet Earth, which was written by Hal Lindsey. He takes it up and, and he probably with that book presented it and it's, you know, for the first time to the mass population. Uh, and then of course, Hal Lindsey co-wrote the whole Left Behind series that reintroduced it in the 90s. And, and I always uh, thought it was funny that they planned this 12 book series, all of which claiming that the end of the world might happen tomorrow. And yet they were confident enough <laughs> that they were gonna create a, a contract with their publisher to, to have 10 years <laughs> later, the 12th book come out and then two movies, right? Uh, one, one with uh, Kirk Cameron and the, and the other one with Nicolas Cage. So uh, anyway, it, it shows me that maybe they weren't quite as convinced of their <laughs> as uh, they presented. I wonder though, um, do, you, do you think, and this is just speculation, um, it, is, it does seem to be a, a, uniquely, a uniquely American obsession um, with that particular doctrine. Um, sure, there's probably pockets throughout the world, but um, I wonder though, if be, due to the fact that it has to do with, you know, looking at Revelation through a certain, again, I come back to the conspiratorial lens of like a huge mistrust of the authorities. I wonder if that sort of took root in the American conscience because of its, you know, genesis in a mistrust of government and authority. I, I wonder, do you think that could be, that could be possible? I, I wouldn't want to speculate on, on the psychological motives, but I'm sure Pastor Lou or Father Adam would be happy to. <laughs> well, there's, there's probably, yeah, I am actually, because there's probably multiple strands of it. And, and, and there's some social influences. And in, in I think including the, uh, the Protestant, evangelical wing being so strong in the United States and the timing with mass communication expanding in different ways. So you'll actually have a lot of folks and I've run into them both Episcopal and other different traditions, Lutheran, whatever, that start to think, oh, that is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's not the traditional understanding of how this is all going to play out. And it's it's going to play out and then i would think it'd be very a rich field of study to consider why are human beings so prone to that psychologically mm -hmm. and emotionally that they feel like they want to know I, th I think part of it is we want to know our future and we want I, to control I, it at some level we've always wanted to know our future right. i think to some extent yeah but I that's, why, that, uh, that's why the, uh, the the Levitical codes. One of the reasons that is possibly behind them um, of trying to stay away from witchcraft and, and astrology and all that is because you're trying to control your destiny when God should be in control of mm -hmm. you know your life and mm -hmm. and the fruitfulness of it. Um, everything is God's gift to us, including our life and time of life. I think that the end times properly uh, treated 
or the 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 subject of the end times are very much related to or or focused upon the human heart um again i guess sort of pointing back to not ever getting the right answer to the wrong question um the preparation of the human heart to be a vessel of grace uh which is obviously accomplished on the cross and on the cross and given to us by way of, of baptism um and our journey through through life attempting by submission and, and humility to acquire like true humility to acquire uh by grace what christ is by nature um this is the ultimate end of man you know we're here for one reason and one reason alone and that is that our heart may be emptied of all our passions that christ may fill it so that you know the, the matter of when things may happen is not only misguided but completely irrelevant and it is the stuff of what at the end of the day distraction and all distraction comes from the evil one we're meant to to not be distracted by those things become an idol the question itself becomes an idol in many cases if if we're not careful and what really is is the most prescient thing we could ever ask is that the lord expose all of our sins that we may repent of them each and every one and we may ask that the lord uh, remove these sins as far as the east is from the west so that we could be conformed to the shape of grace that the grace of forgiveness which is already accomplished on the cross may fill us rather than being an inward focused like in if you will in the fetal position like a sphere where all anything poured upon it would flow right off of it and away from it let us be conformed by grace into the shape of of, of a chalice that is capable of receiving the grace that flows from the forgiveness of the cross this is the end of man um and it is the only end that makes any sense in the context of Jesus Christ such as he is uh uh revealed himself to us i i'd like to um so i i said i didn't want to um speculate on the psychological reasons and that's that's true i i would say that one of the things that perhaps um helped prepare uh the 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 bed for the seed of heresy uh to to have purchase is the fact that <clears throat> uh i think the mainline denominations uh of protestantism and perhaps roman catholicism also uh and and i i have no idea about eastern orthodoxy in america because i honestly before other adam i didn't know that there was eastern orthodoxy in america <laughs> anyway um the, we've done such a terrible job with catechesis with teaching that like pastor lu said you know how lindsay puts out this book and all of a sudden you know it, it gets into the public consciousness and people think this is biblical teaching and they think this is what the church has always taught and they think that if the mainline denominations reject it it's because they're you know these watered down liberal denominations that don't take the bible seriously when in fact it's taking the bible seriously that leads us to know 
that rapture theology isn't isn't true. And and so I'd like to pick up real quick that Thessalonians passage about uh, meeting Christ in the air. I mean, if if we had actually been teaching Paul's epistles and and really getting into it with our with our parishioners, then then they would know and we would know that what Paul's talking about, he's imagining Christ's return. Uh, he, he uses the word parousia, which is the same word that would be, you know, it's a word we, we translate as advent, adventus in, in Latin, advent. Uh, it's a word that would have been used for, for a king or, say, the Roman emperor entering into a city that he has already won through conquer. So he's conquered the city. It, it belongs to him. It's part of his empire. It's part of his kingdom now. And so he's entering into it. And uh, the, um, the dead were always buried on the outskirts of the city, of the polis. So as the emperor enters in, the first of the city to meet him are the dead. Uh, as he goes in to proclaim the good news of his victory. And that's what Paul, that's the image Paul is using. Christ returns his parousia to the earth to proclaim the good news, the euangelion, the gospel of his victory, and the first to meet him are the dead. Uh, now, since Christ is, is returning, you know, and using the imagery of coming, you know, ascending and descending, he comes in the air. That means that the dead come to meet him in the air, but they come to join him in his triumphal entry back into the world to claim what he has won back from Satan. And so that's the imagery that Paul is using there. He's not talking about grabbing some people up and taking them off to heaven and leaving some people back behind, left behind on the earth for tribulation, he's talking about a king returning with the dead uh, because he has now gained victory over death to reclaim the world for himself. Which makes a lot more sense, honestly, because in, in the context of like talking about a second coming, what you do with a lot of rapture theology is that you posit a, a, a third coming. You get this like the second coming itself would be the rapture. And I always imagine it as like, here comes, here comes Christ from the heavens and he stops just short of the atmosphere, picks up all the dead and goes back and then comes back seven years later for a third time, which like, uh, like that's just, I don't, I don't see this anywhere, but like. That's, that's what a lot of the um, biblical scholars that discount the rapture mention that it doesn't talk about the king coming and going back and coming again. It's a second coming. It's a, it's the final victory. Oh, he's already victorious. Let me correct. (laughs) But you know, it's the full fullness of time, right? Because there's different names for the end of time, right? Day of wrath, day of judgment, fullness of time, right? I mean, there's, there's different positive uh, names that are given to it as well, because there's a restoration in this, it's, it's not just about casting people into hell. It's about a restoration and a return of fullness, wholeness, peace. Integration. Integration. Which is exactly the word you used uh, when those googly eyes popped up on your, uh, <laughs> on your video. <laughs> is that true? I can't remember. It, it was, yeah. <laughs> That's a month ago now. It's way beyond the pale of my memory. I recorded some of it on my phone and put it on my Insta. <laughs> 
You know, you know, Luther uh, often said that, that that the great science of the theologian or, or the the Bible teacher, the Bible reader, is to discern uh, law and gospel in Scripture. And and I think uh, before Christ, the last day, the the eschaton, the you know, it is a day of wrath, right? The day of the Lord is is we hear it as law. But after Christ, after God has come, become one of us, incarnate as Jesus Christ, he's lived, he's died, he's been raised for us. Then we, we suddenly hear the day of the Lord, the last day, the final things, not as law, but as gospel. It's, it's good news that Christ is coming back because he's coming back to proclaim his victory over death and sin and, and hell and the devil. And, and, and to draw us up to himself, you know, that's what he says in John's gospel, that he's coming to draw all, all people to himself. And so that's what, it's a promise. It's good news. It's gospel. And it's a promise for us to cling to, not something for us to dread and to try and figure out when it's going to happen. Because what we can do, if we see it as a promise, if we see it as gospel, is we can now live in that promise. And say, as Pastor Lou has been saying, and, and also Father Adam in his own way, that, you know, let's go out and live uh, in love for one another and in faith and in hope and, uh, and really embrace the world because it's the world Christ has redeemed and he's coming back, thank God, to finish that work and to proclaim his victory. Isn't yeah, it funny that, that Father Lou and I are saying the same thing? And usually he and I are the ones that like to give each other the most uh, the most uh, rib tickles. Well, that's probably the way you hear it, because you're not as grace-oriented as me. I just think we're having fun. But, uh, <laughs> but, same. but, but the, the, the whole thing is, you know, Luther used to ask people when they were afraid of this wrath, this coming judgment. He said, you know, does Jesus lie? You know? Did he die for nothing? He's died for all our sin. And he promises if we trust in him that it's going to be all okay. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It could, it could stink very badly. But if we get wrapped up in how bad it's going to be and all that, we're not doing what we've been freed to do, which is to love God and our neighbor with all that we are. And that's the point of our life. That's the gift of our life. And so it doesn't matter if it was when I was a cop and I was closing the door, wondering if I'd ever see that house again. It's not the, a matter when I got diagnosed with melanoma and had to have surgery and didn't know if I'd be making it through or not because we didn't know how far cancer had gone or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're not going to ever feel fear because that's a God-given emotion and it's okay. That's, it's, it tells us, hey, you got to pay attention to something. I think I've said that before. Um, I grieved and I did went through all different kinds of emotions, but we can't be, we can't live by our emotions. We live by faith. That's going to be the, the, the cornerstone of our life and the, and the rootedness of it. That's what's going to help us get through whatever's happening now. So when folks say that we want to look at these times through like revelation or other, you know, apocalyptic kind of thinking, I, I think, they're focusing on the wrong part of it, kind of like what Father Adam was saying about the wrong type of question. It, the, the, the point of all this type of literature in the Bible was to give hope, not to destroy and, and focus on 
the destruction of everything, but that God is making what has already fallen better and, you know, making it healthy and whole. And if you think that way, then hopefully you are going to say, you know, with the prayers sometimes in our communion prayers, come Lord Jesus, come, you know, because it's not a bad thing and we don't need to live in fear. Yeah. The way to heaven is through our brother. The, the way to heaven is through humility and through love and love for our brother. And it starts with the person in your midst, no matter who it is. Um, this is this is how we practice humility and um, how we practice true love. Well, this is a great topic for the Easter season. We're in Easter tide right now as we record, and you know the thing is, a lot of folks think that you know it's about it's we're 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 celebrating Christ's resurrection, but also the promise of his coming again. Mm-hmm. That's an anticipatory promise, and we should trust in that. And I, I and I think it that's what should shape our interaction with all these things going on right now in the world that might scare us. Yeah. Oops. I've got this uh I gotta, I gotta wait. I gotta grab this. I have this fantastic shirt that I always wear for the Feast of Ascension. <laughs> I can't wait to see. Which that. is a, which is a great time to talk about the Second Coming because, like, I got this. Uh, I don't know if you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't just wear it for the Feast of the Ascension. It's just a fun shirt, but it's a, it's a good. It, it's, it's hopeful. It is hopeful. Hopeful. Placed this on a video only. He held up a shirt with a with a picture of Jesus with underneath it said BRB. Yes. <laughs> For all the podcast listeners, that's that's what that was, yeah. <laughs> By the way, no one can say anything about how late I've been to anything. I mean, Jesus, he still hasn't come back. <laughs> he didn't specify he did not specify a start time. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and I'm at least a week behind you. <laughs> and you're never gonna get you're never gonna get Father Adam and I to agree that you're better than Jesus at anything. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen because we're true he, believers. That he's better at what? That he's That's, better than Jesus. <laughs> Nick, Nick is trying to tell us he's more timely than Jesus, which I don't think is gonna fly. Yeah, somehow I think... Uh, I'm just saying, if, there, if there's such a thing as chronological time, and then there's orthodox time, and then there's... Kairos, my friend, Kairos. And then there's Father Nick time, way oh, further past that is Jesus time. <laughs> True <sighs> right. story, there is such a thing as orthodox time. <laughs> Nick, Nick was outside of time. You know, he's, like, he's always late. And if he's going to be quick, that means it's a 10-minute soliloquy. Uh, <laughs> and if it has to do with Henry VIII. <laughs> All the way back to episode one. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, people have to keep up. That's right. So they can understand all these jibes. All the inside jokes. Yep.
Yeah, this isn't that we're we're episodic here. Like we do have our individual episodes, but there is an under underlying plot. Uh, have we talked hear about violence in the Christian life yet today? We have now. <laughs> well, we could talk about the four horsemen, and that would include war. So there you go, four horsemen in the park. It will be non-violently, just as the first time was non-violent. And yet your favorite saints were all very violent people. Yes. Yeah, we're, all, we're all, we're simul justus et peccator, right? <laughs> They're saints. That's what I say. <laughs> Did he just give us an Italian recipe? <laughs> That's the missing ingredient for my pesto. Munja, munja. I'm having that for dinner tonight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gosh, well, I, that makes me hungry for like an eggplant parmesan. Oof. Lord have mercy. Well, I can come I know for that. I'm getting close to probably the time, but <clears throat> one thing that um, Father Nick was pointing out before we gathered is that, you know, eschatology does include even death and other aspects, what happens to us after death. And um, I would just like to mention that uh, that's another thing that Christians do have different points on. Sometimes they think they're in a sleep until the day of resurrection. And some people feel they're in heaven and then there's a resurrection and you can get, and what you'll see, whether it's that topic or rapture, you, you end up with dueling, <laughs> scripture verses a lot of folks if there's someone out there that listens to this that recognizes we don't have anyone representing their opinion and and if we did chances are what we'd end up doing is well what about this verse what about that verse what about this verse and i don't think it's the most fruitful way to talk about these issues there was actually I would a just very... point them toward the orthodox point of view on everything and know that i would i would sit back in the comfort of knowing that i was correct Yes, <laughs> there was actually a really interesting article I read um, not too long ago that someone put out for um, Christianity Today put out for Holy Saturday, which talked about um, the descent in the in the in the creeds and how yes. that relates to um, uh, life after death and you know what happens sort of in the immediacy, like post death pre final resurrection it was actually really interesting and very uh, a really hopeful presentation of everything that's uh, i don't think a lot of churches talk about that particular doctrine as much as um as much as some others i mean this past saturday on holy saturday we had at the fort church because it's a it's in the book of common prayer saturday morning uh, a liturgy for holy saturday and it focuses on the harrowing of hell so i mean the uh we have a reading from First Peter where it talks about Christ going among the dead, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. proclaim the resurrection, and then uh, we had the you know the gospel reading of his burial. Um, you know, there's there's a lot in the tradition. There's not a whole lot in Scripture that talks mm -hmm. about it, but there has been a lot of good theological work done on it from all different uh, sides. I mean, the Eastern Orthodox have probably done the most work, but yeah, you know, among Roman Catholics, Hans, Ver, Hans Urs von Balthasar uh, wrote a book called Mysterium Pascale, which uh, is all about uh, the, the atoning work of Christ focusing on the harrowing of hell. Mm -hmm. So, and, and there's different takes on that too. I mean, there's not, we're not all of one mind on what the nature of the harrowing of hell was. 
when Nick was uh, quoting that book, I almost asked him, do we get garlic bread with that? I mean, it's, it's again, it's like <laughs> Father Adam's joke just popped in my head. It's, it sounds like an Italian meal, doesn't it? But even with the, the with Jesus descending to the place of Sheol, the place of the dead, I mean, even there, Christians argue things that they really can't know. Oh, yeah. Whether did Jesus continue to suffer, you know, so he fully experienced the human condition, or was he to approach that only and I, I think those are conversations I, I think the orth the more traditional view is more victoriously to release those to bring good news of to the dead but um there are Christians out there that that argue about these things and I'm, I'm not sure that that you're miss you're missing the point by focusing too much on details details are important but we don't all we don't have the data to make a really good argument on a lot of this stuff we have the prayers of the uh liturgy of saint basil uh saint basil the great um basil for my parmesan <laughs> that's right basil for one's parmesan i'm still so hungry um <laughs> i know it's dinner time it really truly is uh and it talks about you know that he the, he descended into hell so that he could be the firstborn of the dead so he could be he who experienced the true human death Right. Uh, could be the firstborn of the dead. And in the iconography of the church, we see the harrowing of Hades with the, the gates of hell having been uh, ripped off. And you see Christ lifting Adam and Eve by the hand. They're the, they're, they're the first after him. They were the first to fall into, into perdition and to fall in this. And Christ releases them and, and everyone uh, from hell. In fact, when you see the icons of the crucifixion, you always see a skull underneath Golgotha the place of the skull. And that skull is understood to be the skull of Adam. Christ is, is the new Adam and the mother mm. of God is the new Eve. Uh, and, and he releases them from, from the curse that they brought upon humankind. And so as, as Hades is, is shamed by the presence of the uh, incarnate word of God, no longer dead. He's trampled down death by death. The gates of hell are destroyed. Adam and Eve are the first out of the grave. And uh, it, it's a it's a very powerful image. It's it's beautiful. It's it, it is a like Father Lou said. It's a message of uh, if 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 nothing else of absolute hope. Yep. Uh, for us. Mm -hmm. Father Nick, were you flipping through a book there, looking for something? Uh, I was reading a comic book. That's right. I, I was just trying to remember uh, what it, what exactly the collect in the prayer book was for Holy Saturday that mentioned the the descent and harrowing of hell. The collect in, in particular doesn't, even though the reading from First Peter does. And and I've I've put up in our um, three priests group uh, the Facebook live stream, which of course now it's not live, but uh, you can go back and watch it of uh, you know all of the Holy Work, Holy Week liturgies that we did. So Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then our, our great Paschal Vigil of Easter. And uh, anyway, um, if you go back to the um, Holy Saturday one, uh, which is pretty short, I think it's something like 25 minutes or something like that. Uh, in it, I, I preach a sermon on the uh, the harrowing of hell. So... Um, uh, you may or may not be interested. You were able to include a sermon in a service, and it was only a 25-minute video? <laughs> Most of the video was a sermon, right? So, oh, okay. so I don't need to say it here. You can, you can go and watch that if you want.
But I do think it's, it, it is important. One of the things that we haven't talked a whole lot about, but we've talked about it in other contexts, is that we affirm, all of us uh, in the creeds, the resurrection of the dead, which as the Apostles' Creed says, the resurrection of the body. So, so none of us just teach that it's about an immaterial, non-embodied soul going to heaven, but it's it, that part of the hope of uh, the eschatological hope of the Christian faith is resurrection from the dead. That's part of the fullness of the hope. And Thomas Aquinas, I, I just had to throw him in there for Pastor Lou. Thomas Aquinas says, you know, we can't identify with either our bodies or our souls because we are as full people, uh, a full person is an embodied soul. And so we really do have to hope for a resurrection of the body. Whatever body means, whatever spiritual body, uh, the, the Greek that Paul uses is uh, soma pneumatikos, uh, whatever a spirit body is. That's what we're to hope for in the resurrection of the dead, uh, not just souls flying up to heaven. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not just a hope. It's an absolute matter of, of uh, uh, ontological uh, necessity. Because when we sinned, we sinned in both soul and body as, as a true human, as a true person. So we can't judge the soul without the body, nor can we judge the body without the soul. They must be reunited in order that if we, when we stand in judgment, we may be judged as the person that we are. Because the soul is not us, and the body is not us. Which is why when you stand at a funeral and you behold the... It, it, it's, a, it's almost like a caricature of the person. You know, this is not natural. We're presented with this very unnatural state, this, mm -hmm. this physical death. And, and which is why we can, knowing that that's not mom or Aunt Susie or our, our sibling or our child, God forbid, or our, our, our spouse uh, or friend, um, knowing when we kiss the body or touch it or behold it, it is not natural and it is not them because something is lacking. So that entire uh, experience is, is just kind of point blank right there. Proof that there will be uh, a rejoining of soul to body because that is where we experience true humanity, true personhood is body and soul. Uh, uh, somatic, whatever the heck Father Nick said with his fancy Greek words. <laughs> Soma pneumaticos. <laughs> There's a mystery there too because, you know, we don't know exactly what we're going to look like when we're resurrected. It doesn't necessitate that we look exactly like a 56-year-old me or a 12-year-old me or anything like that. There's an element of a physical resurrection, but it doesn't go into details. And so, you know, we, we don't really know all. Some people would like to think that we're going to look exactly like we are, we do, but, you know, why didn't everyone recognize the resurrected Christ? Why could he phys be physical and you could touch him but walk through walls? We, we don't know the mechanics of resurrection. And I'm kind of hoping for about 25 fewer pounds. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be good for me. But, but just, just so people know that may not be familiar with this discussion, that sometimes when we talk about it, we can people's minds can go in a certain direction. And, and there's a lot of mystery here. And I say that very often, but there is with all of these things is an element of sometimes you can't see the answer 
You know, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we're not meant to see the answer to a lot of this. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, the answer to a lot of this, no, not only are we not meant to see it, but we wouldn't be able to interact with it properly if we did. Right. Well, I think we're getting talking about time. I think we're probably getting near time, aren't we? Yeah, I think that's about uh, that's a good place uh, to pause there. Um, you know, kind of acknowledging that you know there is a whole lot of mystery to this, and to try and pin it down is, you know, not not even unfruitful. Some to, to a point, it can be unbiblical um, because of where it can lead us as far as like how we lead our lives in in Christ. Um, and, and if there's any evangelicals listening out there, um, you know, at least I, speaking for me, I mean. It, I feel God is in charge of this process, and I think I understand the scriptures just as you, you the evangelical, would think you understand the scriptures. And and uh, it does, it's no skin off my nose if you turn out to be right. <laughs> but I don't I don't think you are honestly <laughs> this true confession. But but you know God loves us, and Jesus rose for us, and and so I don't think that this necessarily needs to be where we destroy one another in arguments over it, we can disagree in love, I think. Yeah. I'm speaking for myself. Sometimes I don't Nick, need I don't to know. speak because, you know, when one is comfortable in one's orthodoxy, <laughs> one, one needn't speak much because it's already been spoken. And remember, this episode, this, ep this episode is going to come out after the, uh, the live event. So it's, that's all about Father Adam. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So everybody's going to be very well aware of what he thinks. When, we, when, when does that come out? Though. In May? Um, no, that's coming out in two weeks, actually, on the 28th. You're doing it quicker. Mm -hmm. okay. We can call it the big, big episode, but not as big as he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I've lost about 15 pounds since that episode. Nice. <laughs> nice. Your, your resurrection body keeps getting smaller and smaller. It does. Like I said, I'm hoping for about 25 fewer pounds. You know, let's be accurate. <laughs> All right. Well, who would like to who would like to pray us out? I think Nick, I did you've never time. had the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I haven't. Nick. But I'm not I, I'm not an ordained priest here. You don't have to be to pray. Not yet, my friend. But <laughs> when you become Orthodox, we'll send you to a proper seminary. <laughs> oh man, I think I need to be able to grow a beard to be an Orthodox, and I can't. I can't. Like, I can't. This is as, this is as good as it's going to get anything worse than this looks like prepubescent hey, your head hair makes up for your lack of facial hair you have the most prolific ang anglo that i have ever seen on, <laughs> on a person i appreciate that all right on that note i will i will do my best to pray us out all right Father, we come to you um, at the time of this recording in a time of uncertainty and a time of a general anxiety and unrest in the world. Um, we ask that in a time when we don't really know what's going on, that we don't look to try to get all the answers and get all the information for ourselves to try and act as some kind of a comfort, but that we would be leaning on you 
that we would be looking to the cross and the resurrection as our hope and as our comfort and be comfortable in living in uncertainty and living in mystery, knowing that the ultimate victory has been accomplished and that we are called to live in that through our natural lives here in the hope of resurrection and in the hope of the life to come. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Man, that was a great Lutheran prayer. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see the light. This oh, is man. fun. And thankfully, we're having this pandemic in a time of uh, technological uh, ease. But uh, And we may have several of these via Zoom or what have you. But uh, one, I, I look forward to the kids' table again. Me too. Me too. <laughs>